listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So for anyone who listened to last week's episode, you know that we literally ran out of time and we had to cut short our conversation on thought leadership hits and misses. We have brought Bob Aday from Bidet Thought Leadership Partners back to finish out that conversation and give us more of his wisdom on the best that thought leadership has to offer and a little bit about the worst. So Bob mentioned in passing the book, Monetizing Innovation, that his firm helped Simon Kutcher Partners write. And if listeners want to understand uh, what those types of case studies look like, that book does it really, really well. And you'll be surprised at the types of companies that were willing to come forward as part of that particular you know, piece of IP. Bob, you said several things that were really important. The first one, and this is part of the BS of, of PS in, in my mind, in terms of how you get an organization aligned to deliver you know, truly leading intellectual capital. And the first one was time. It takes time to produce and to seed and to water these ideas. And most firms who live and die by the billable hour just aren't willing to invest that time. That's right. And I want to talk about each one of these if, if we can just briefly, but I'll, let me outline them. Uh, the second one was that the client is the hero, not your firm not your thought leader, the client is the hero in these examples and how you talk about it, that these aren't just self-promotional, we're so smart, hire us. And then the third, and this is where most firms just, it's, it's textbook marketing glittering generalities where they just make these statements and they don't substantiate them without, with any proof points. And they think they can finesse it, and they just can't. They just can't. They can't. And if they can't, and if they, you know, they can't substantiate their claims, then what they have is theory <laughs> that hasn't been proven, basically. And you know, one needs theory, and one needs to prove their theory. So, and nobody buy. You know, executives are smart when they bring in a consulting firm, or a, or we could, we you know, a, we could put in law firm or architecture firm or or other professional firm. When they bring these firms in, sometimes they're betting their career on bringing the right firm in. Sometimes they're betting the firm's career, you know, on bringing the right advisor or advisory firm in. And so a firm that can point to, in their thought leadership, to examples of companies that made substantial improvements by you know, following some process, using some process that the professional firm prescribes, that reduces the buyer's perceived risk in choosing that firm. Yeah. And a lot of this is risk reduction on the part of the buyer. It's exactly. Like, right. It, you know, I, I talked, Bob, about the three-in-one drivers of brand preference being expertise, which we're talking about right now, being smarter in something than I am results, where have you actually applied that and where have you brought it in on time and, and on budget and then simpatico or an ease of doing business with. But the people want CYA 
right? It's why we had that expression, nobody got fired for hiring IBM, or they want to look good. Even if they there's no downside risk that they'll get fired, they still want to look good so they advance. Absolutely, which is why when you ask, when a consulting firm or other professional firm asks a client if they would be willing to be featured as a best practice example in a paper or a book, you know, as long as it really is a best practice example and you're not making things up. Why, if you say to your client, um, this is what we want to do because it is a big success story and we don't want to mention that our firm helped your firm. I found that they are more often willing to say yes because it's going to help them in their career and it's going to help their company be seen as a company that has done something very beneficial in some part of their business. Whereas if you say, we'd like a testimonial, how much you love us and, you know, and why we're such good consultants or such good lawyers, or there's often policy, especially in big companies that prevent any endorsement of quote unquote vendors. So a lot of those requests are are immediately dismissed, are, are ignored, are rejected. So it's best practice examples rather than test client testimonials. And that's a big lesson of, of thought leadership. And I think maybe that's part of the marketing-centric view is that if we're going to feature clients, and we need a testimonial in our thought leadership material. Well, guess what? In my experience, chances are you're not going to get a client testimonial. You know, it's funny, Bob, yeah. as you were talking, what came to mind was it's like an editorial mindset versus a marketing mindset. Editors go looking to understand and, and, and get underneath the story and understand what made it tick and why it did what it did. And why the client made the choices they did, right? Right. Hardwired that way. Marketers are are built to promote. It's well, oh my gosh, that's amazing. We can promote the heck out of that, right? Right. And so it's like the the the, the people that fill these roles, especially in larger organizations, bring with them a different mindset and a different set, set of skills that that changes the way the output is created. That ultimately changes the trajectory of the outcomes, <laughs> right? It does. And I think, you know, the marketers and, you know, I look, consider myself a marketer. So I I may sound like I'm criticizing my kin here. (laughs) I guess I am. But the marketing centric approach to thought leadership, you know, at its extreme does not help produce great persuasive content. And, And this is not to say that I believe marketing is critical to being recognized as a thought leader, you can produce great books and white papers, and but if the world doesn't know about it, then you've only done half the job. So, so marketing is obviously crucial, but the marketing tail can't wag the dog here. And that's why I believe in professional services firms where thought leadership is operating best, a thought leadership function and institute is not reporting to the CMO, it's reporting above the CMO. And it's on an equal footing, therefore, with the CMO. So that content development doesn't become marketing-centric. Yeah, there's a big difference between producing thought leadership and packaging it. And I think people get confused on those two. And and then, you know, if we wander into the this whole other discussion about, you know, the supply creation part of thought leadership, even more important that the content development function, your research institute, is not reporting to the CMO because the delivery side of your firm, your consultants, your lawyers, you know, whoever earning, generating the fees, if they see this thought leadership R&D engine reporting to marketing, the consultants, the lawyers, the people who are actually bringing in the money, they're not likely to see thought leadership 
as they're look likely to look at it as oh this is just marketing content you know this is all just more marketing BS fluff mm-hmm. so it you know at CSE Index Michael Hammer did not report to the CMO and neither did the research business that he and Index had it reported to the CEO of Index and Mike had his own company that's a model I've seen work best where you're serious at thought leadership content creation then that activity, that function reports to the top of the company and is a partner with marketing and getting great ideas to market. So content-centric, not marketing-centric. What else? What else? Primary research taking the form of best practices compared to worst practices. So you understand you know, why best practices are, in fact, best practices. So Hammer, Mike Hammer and Index had that research business where they, you know, 100 plus companies, they were, the research base was those 100 plus companies. Research topics, where they did their research is they interviewed the the research sponsors and talked to multiple people in every company on every research topic. So deep primary case study research. The Simon Kucher book, Monetizing Innovation, was not done so much in that way in a research program that Simon Kucher's clients paid for. They were really capturing, Simon Kucher was capturing its client experiences of the last 10 to 15 years. So, you know, it knew what had worked based on capturing its client experience. So best practice research is critical. When it comes to putting things into the shape of books or articles, the people who often work in marketing, editorial people, they have to help the subject experts, the the people who are aspiring or should aspire to be thought leaders. The editorial people should not look at themselves as ghostwriters who are just there to write things down, what somebody says. They need to be see themselves as argument shapers. So working with these subject experts to frame and push their thinking, because rarely is a subject expert or a group of subject experts who are co-authoring a paper, rarely have they fully developed their argument before they bring a a quote-unquote ghostwriter into the mix. The easier skill to find in in the marketplace are very good business writers. That's a lot easier skill to find, a lot harder skill to find are the editorial people who are very good at shaping, working with really smart people and shaping their arguments. That's a rare skill to find. You know, Bob, one of the things I just love about you is once you start talking, my mind just starts racing in so many different ways. It's it's just like you you set a match to to gasoline. There's so many different directions I, I can go with what you just said there. Here's a question I, I have, and, and I think this is a, a reality in most firms, depending on their size. And the examples you gave us range from small to large. Yep. In this argument shaping and this primary research, how do firms formulate the things that they want to build an argument around? You know, an Accenture has, you know, so many different industries and so many different service lines and so many different geographies versus I'm assuming like an FMG or Simon Kucher are smaller firms that maybe specialize a little bit more. How do firms narrow in on the areas that they should 
narrow in on in terms of building that argument and thought leadership? It's a great question. And I don't think there's an easy answer to it. And one of the outcomes of there not being an easy answer to it is that you'll see, and in, in, especially in the bigger firms where you have 2,000 consultants or more, you could have 2,000 different points of view you know, on very different topics in a year. And even some of the smaller firms have a hard time saying, what do we need to be a thought leader on? You know, And I believe that narrowing the focus in terms of thought leadership topics and going deeper on fewer topics usually produces a better result, more substantive, more novel content than doing the opposite of saying, well, we're going to, you know, instead of three topics this year, we're going to address 20 and we're going to spread our thought leadership resources across 20 topics that have little interplay among them and and, and therefore being broad, you know, given resources are, are limited, going broad but shallow across 20 topics. So I think the answer to the question begins with saying, what client problems does our firm need to own? What problems do we have expertise in solving? Or do we want to develop expertise on the back of thought leadership in solving? What are those client problems we, we absolutely need to own, that, those problems that will be there for the, next, for the foreseeable future that are not going to go away a year from now, that we can bet the growth of our business on as problems we can solve, we've solved in the past. Yes, they're getting more complex, so we have to keep getting better at what we do, and there's some related and new problems that we have to solve for the clients we have. But that's kind of where it begins, I think, with focus. And that probably goes back to, Jeff, you know, your area of how should a firm focus its services, right? Because if you don't have a focus in services, it's hard to have a focus in thought leadership. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, Principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. I mean, is that the source of the miss? You know, we, we, you know we've, we've talked a lot about hits today and we've kind of alluded to where misses tend to occur taking the wrong approach, maybe having the wrong view on how this should be done. But is the miss, is that is that a frequent place of the miss is that the firm literally just can't get their head around the problems they have to own? And that's really the miss. I think it is. I think it is the miss. And I think it helps explain the demise of CSC Index. So here was a firm that in the early 80s had morphed from a software firm to a IT management consulting firm, and then to a business operations firm with a heavy IT aspect of that by the early 90s. So you could look at CSE Index as being the consulting firm for a while at the intersection of business operational issues and information technology. And so by the mid 90s, when the reengineering projects began to Misfire Index dabbled in some other consulting areas like innovation, not tied to IT, in business strategy, not tied to IT, 
So Index began to wander as a firm in terms of their service mix. And if Index had remembered what brought it to the dance with reengineering, which is we, Index in the late 80s, early 90s, knew more, I would argue, than any other management consulting firm about the management of information technology and how it should be applied, technology should be applied in business. If Index had remembered that's our true north, that's our focus, that's our DNA, however you want to express it. And re-engineering is a service that, that gets us into the operations, the business process redesign business. And if Index had kept that focus, I think Index would still be in business today in a much larger firm because this, this little thing called the internet, the World Wide Web, started to happen <laughs> in the early 90s. And so Index is out of business by the year 2000, and a whole bunch of internet strategy firms had formed, Viant, Scient, et cetera, et cetera. I would argue those are client problems that Index should have owned, but didn't, but got sidetracked by veering off the path of things that were not about IT and business operations and business strategy. I think that is so spot on. You know, when you said what's you know what's the miss, my brain just filled of a thousand different misses that I've seen over my career within a firm. I would sum those up in three areas that firms miss. One is defining their core capability, as you said, right? What's the value that we provide? And I've seen that in every firm where they lose sight of what they really are capable of doing and what's the real value of the firm. Two, the firms that don't do well at this can't make strategic choices. They can't make the hard choices of we will do this, we won't do that. And they have you know, these cultures of optionality and they don't care what people do as long as they're producing revenue. Right. And then the third is they have this culture and mindset of we are leaders. We are the best at what we do. And thought leadership, as you said, when we first started out, Bob, is a reflection of that. We have these ideas and we want to share them. And we share them not just because they lead to revenue, because it's who we are as a culture and as business thinkers. We want to share these ideas. They're generous and they know there's more within the firm to come out. So they don't have a scarcity perspective about their ideas. They're willing to share them because they know this is great and we're going to have even more of, of these types of ideas. And they expect, they hire, they develop, and they expect people to think and share and develop ideas that way. Absolutely. And that's a much different mindset. And I'm sure you've heard it over the years, Jeff and, and Jason, of the client who says, oh, we would never write a book because we'd be giving away all of, of our advice for you know the price of a book. Or you know, we're not going to write a, a white paper because we'll be giving away, clients won't need us when they, they, they read it. And that thinking is antithetical to competing on thought leadership. And I've always told people, if, if clients can figure out how to do something by reading your book, you don't really have a consulting service there. 
if it's that easy to <laughs> <laughs> that easy, then you know you should look for another line of work. <laughs> uh, and then they kick you. They kick you out. The, the those without the right, you know, kind of cultural and perspective and confidence kick you out. Get out of here. The others yeah. are like, yeah, you're right. Yes, but I want to put, go back to something you had mentioned, Jeff, which is about my pet theory about why firms lose their focus. And this is speaking uh, two two case examples: CSE Index, and then which is bad practice on this uh, on this issue, and then Simon Kucher, which is best practice on this issue. So, so CSE Index got lost. They forgot that they were they should have remained the consulting firm to help companies capitalize on information technology to you know exploit IT to find new markets to operate more efficiently and more effectively etc they lost their way they were in the woods they lost their way and that was unfortunate given that the web happened and they could have been the internet strategy firm but but they lost their way and i think part of the reason for that is they brought in people very smart people from some some top tier consulting firms who were not reengineering fans. They were business strategy fans or they were innovation fans. That's what what they had done for a living. And they wanted to bring, you know, they wanted the firm to move in in their directions. And so the center of the firm being at the intersection of business and IT didn't hold versus Simon Kucher in which pricing strategy, pricing strategy has always been at the center of that firm since it was launched in 1988. And they have brought other services in, but they all relate to pricing. At the end of the day, it's going to be how a company prices its products. So they've kept that pricing gene or capability at the center of their firm. And I'm looking at a chart of their revenue, 100 million euros in revenue in 2010, 340 million in revenue in euros in 2020. So they they tripled, right? Tripled in growth. Pricing has remained at the center of that firm. It's in their DNA. They didn't lose their way like the firm I worked at many years ago. And so you might say, well, why do why do firms lose their way? One reason, by the way, they lose their way is the consultants who are doing the work get bored. They want to do something else. (laughs) You know, smart, really smart people, you know, once they figure something out, they want to figure something else out. So, but is is that the reason the firm should wander? No. Index, in hindsight, it's very easy for me to sit here, you know, as a Monday morning quarterback and look in hindsight and and say index should have done this and that. But hindsight is, Monday morning quarterback is, index should have kept on this we help companies capitalize on IT track and done new research in the 90s about how companies like Amazon, 93, right? And others were leveraging the internet and making money. So maybe the re-engineering consultants wouldn't have gotten bored by had the company continued its R&D on the right track, its leadership R&D on the right track and developed new services that would have given the really smart consultants an, a new sandbox to play it, but was adjacent to the sandboxes they were already playing it. You know, I, I'm, I'm taken back to my time in the human capital space, and I use that human capital space loosely in air quotes, if you will, because, you know, my time at Hewitt and Tower's Parent, and I, and I would say this is true of Tower's Parent in particular. 
that when they their start was in the actuarial science and it was really about managing pension risk because that was the main vehicle for retirement savings for employees and when the 401k legislation came out and those pension plans started to die they moved in the direction of you know broader employee benefits, health and welfare, 401ks, and then rewards and compensation, and then leadership. And you can almost see the trail of of this core focus just spreading out. And, you know, leadership consultant, I think, is is quintessential example of just a fragmented market. And to me, as an outsider coming in, it was so clear that that organization's core strength was its actuarial horsepower of assessing risk and managing those numbers that nobody could make sense of. And I always thought, instead of going in the direction of of human capital and employee benefits in that, that it should have doubled down on, we are the number people, the math, and reading through all this data. And the funny thing is all of those businesses have essentially been commoditized. They're just kind of outsourced, you know, benefits administration type of stuff. But think about how that capability and culture, and Towers Perrin had a phenomenal culture of entrepreneurship, would be applied now in this algorithmic world that we live in, in AI and everything that's going on with it. I just think it's sad that they missed this incredible opportunity because they didn't really know what they did best. Absolutely. And, you know, isn't it the fact in these professional services businesses, it's so easy to change tracks, right? To jump to another train. Mm -hmm. Unlike, you know, the automobile business, like we're not going to easily go from making cars to airplanes, all right? There's big capital investments. It's very easy for a professional service firm to say, ah, we're bored with this. Let's you know, this is just people. Let's do something completely different now. You don't need to make big capital investments. It's just hiring people. There's no switching <laughs> costs here. I think we've kicked the tires pretty hard on all the hits and all the misses. Bob, it's, as always, been an incredible pleasure to, to spend time with you over the course of these two episodes. And I really appreciate you telling the backstories of your work and also giving us the wisdom of your knowledge in terms of really what makes one program work and one program not work or fail. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. And I want to add, if you haven't been to Bob's website to soak up some of his thinking, please do so. Bob, do you want to give your website address? Sure. The firm is Boudet Thought Leadership Partners. So the URL is BoudetTLP.com. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.